Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you got your Bibles or devices with you and you want to follow along, uh, Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, we have uh, three lessons left in this book. A uh, study that started in August of 2020, we will finish June the 29th. So we've got uh, two more weeks and uh, uh, before we finish this. But uh, we're not there yet, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll uh, hit the third to the last tonight. As you can see, the title is Unity and Truth. Unity and Truth. Let's read our verses. The Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, tonight's subject is one that I'm going to be honest with you. Even the most um, mature Christians will struggle to get right in practice. Not struggle to understand. It's not that hard to understand. But in our, in our lives, in our daily lives, we will struggle to get this subject right. And what I'm talking about is the balance between unity and truth. Okay? The balance in our life that we, that we all strive to maintain between unity and truth. Now, we know that both of these are very important in Scripture. Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Let's look first at unity. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same uh, judgment. There's scriptures like this all over the Bible. One of Pastor Henry's favorites, Psalms 133, how, how good, how delightful, how pleasant it is uh, for brethren to dwell together in unity. We could go on and on. I, I gave you a few references. John 17, Titus 3, James 3, Philippians 2. Over and over and over again, the Bible commands us, appeals to us, exhorts us to walk together in unity. But if you're honest, you know how hard sometimes this can be to get out of balance. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a friend, and this friend, you guys really get along. You really like each other, and, and this friend claims to be a Christian. But the fact is their life doesn't reflect it. They're doing things, they're saying things, they're acting in ways that don't line up with the Word of God. And you, you, you think about, I need to confront them. I need to, to face them with the truth. But instead, what do you do? You focus too much on unity. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to, to ruin the relationship. And so what you do is you kind of move truth aside and you put the focus on unity. Everybody with me? That, that's pretty common. So, so there's, you can get out of balance sometimes if you're not careful. You focus too much on unity at the expense of truth. Now, Truth, of course, is also very important. This is the same Apostle Paul who just told us 
I want you to be united. He writes this in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. How many times in the Bible does, does it just talk about how important truth is? Uh, Jesus said, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that proceeds out of the word of God. Again, I gave you some more. Ephesians 6, John 4, John 8, John 14, Titus 3. Truth, truth, truth. So both of these are incredibly important. Now, we also see situations where you can get this out of whack. The best example I have of this in, in my sermon a week and a half ago, I, I, I told you about Mark chapter 3. Jesus goes into the synagogue, and there's a man in there on the Sabbath day with a withered hand. And it says the Pharisees watched him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. I mean, here they are. This man's got a withered hand, and all they care about is their precious version of truth. They don't even, everybody with me? They don't even see that guy. They don't care about that guy. They could care less. All they just want to see is he going to break our truth. And so if you're not careful, you can focus so much, get so legalistic about truth and rules and things like that, that you forget that this is supposed to be about people. Everybody with me? So th that's the idea is you want to balance these out. Now, the fact is you could probably place most churches today in one or two categories. There are those who probably focus more on doctrinal purity than they do on people. But then again, there's others that focus on people and relationships more than they do on truth. Let me give you an example. When I was putting this lesson together... A couple weeks ago, because um, we were off last week, so I had a little extra time. I, I ran across this. This is fairly new, by the way, probably three or four weeks ago. It says the Church of Scotland uh, voted to allow same-sex marriages. So what they decided to do is they decided to allow their ministers, their reverends, their pastors to now conduct same-sex marriages in the Church of Scotland. Now, what caught my eye... By the way, this doesn't even surprise me anymore. I wasn't surprised by it, but what I caught my eye was their reason. Let me read it to you. It says, There has been a lengthy, prayerful, and in-depth discussion and debate about this topic for many years at all levels of the church to find a solution that respects diversity and values the beliefs of all. Anybody knows what's, notice what's missing? There's no truth. They didn't come to a decision that, va that respects the Word of God. They didn't come to a decision that values the truth of God. It, it, what it does is values how we feel. It values your feelings. You're okay. But they, what they did is they moved the truth aside and they made, they made unity now the focus. They, they've gone too far, right? And so this is the kind of idea that you see in churches. But by the way, it's not just churches. Because listen, churches are just made up of people. Governments are made up of people. Cultures and societies are made up of just people. So what you'll see sometimes is not just churches and governments, but entire societies and cultures will lean one way or the other for an entire period of history. In fact, let me just ask you a question. If I looked at our culture today and I asked you which one do they emphasize the most, is it truth or is it unity? It's unity. You don't even have to guess, right? What are the buzzwords today? Diversity, tolerance, inclusion. 
right? It's, it's obvious that our culture puts the focus on unity today. It's not an easy time to be a lover of the truth. Now, I mention all of that as an introduction because I want you to see how out of step tonight's verse is, tonight's passage is with our culture. It is completely out of step with our culture. Most people would read this verse and say, well, that's just arrogant. That's unloving. That's all kind of things. But it's, it, it's just completely out of step, but it is the word of God. Now, it is mainly a truth text, okay? It is a text that is calling for vigilance in matters of truth or teaching or doctrine. But it's also strikingly and very strikingly a, a unity text as well. So let's start with verse 17, and we'll go back and walk through this. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. So Paul says, here you are, you're in this body of believers, right? And you've got unity. And he says, I want you to watch out for those who want to come in and divide you. I want you to watch out, keep an eye out for people who create obstacles to unity. So this first part of this verse is all about unity because he's telling you to watch out for people who are enemies of unity, okay? Now, watch what Paul says to do, though, which is striking. He says what? Avoid them. In other words, divide from people who divide or separate from people who would separate you. This is actually a call for division. So you have a call for unity and a call for division right here in the same verse. Now, I want to stop right here and make a point because this is really important. Do you guys remember back in chapter 14? There was a situation in chapter 14 where there was disagreement among members in the church. Y'all remember that? Some people said it was okay to eat meat offered to idols, and some people said it wasn't. Some people said you should uh, observe a certain holiday, and other people said you shouldn't. And there was this, they were having disagreements. And notice what Paul said, verse, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 4, he said, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In verse 19, I mean, this is all about unity. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding or edification. So Paul says, look, you got differences of opinion because we all, we're going to have that. Paul says, accept one another, welcome one another, don't judge one another, pursue peace and pursue edification on one another, right? There was, notice in chapter 14, there was absolutely no talk of dividing or avoiding people. He never said, hey, if you don't agree with them, just avoid them. The whole point of chapter 14 was unity, right? Accept one another, love one another, uh, uh, welcome one another, don't judge one another. It was all about unity. But now in chapter 16, it's completely different. Chapter 14, he says, you got disagreements? come together. In chapter 16, he says, there's disagreements, avoid those people. Separate from them, divide from them. Now, here's the question. Why the difference? What's the difference between 14 and 16? Well, the difference is what they're dividing over. You see, in chapter 14, it was non-essential things like opinions. It was whether you should eat meat or whether you should observe certain holidays. Let me give you an example. Let's say one person said, well, you, I don't think you should celebrate Halloween. 
And another person says, well, I just think it's a kid's holiday. I don't see a big deal with it. Well, you can't go to the Bible and it says do one or do the other. It doesn't speak to it. So Paul says, whatever you decide to do, be fully convinced in your own mind. Accept one another and move on. It's just a difference of opinion, right? But here in chapter 16, it's different. It's not about uh, differences in opinion. It's about essential doctrine. It's about essential teaching. In fact, let's read verse 17 in its entirety. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. Now, again, I want you to watch. Sometimes we don't think this way, but let's just think for a moment what Paul could have said. Paul could have said what Oprah would have said. Or somebody in our culture, hey, hey, guys, listen. Listen, nobody has all the truth. Christians got a little bit of the truth, and the, the, the Muslims have got a little bit of the truth, and the, the Buddhists have got a little bit of the truth. It's all the same God. As long as you're sincere, let's just all come together. Let's, let's get us a coexist bumper sticker and put it on our, our cars, and let's just all get along and let's not divide. Could he have said that? He could have, but he didn't, did he? He didn't say that at all. See, I don't know how Paul can make any clearer his view between unity and truth or his view of the relationship between unity and truth. And it's going to surprise you, it's not that. You see, when I started out tonight, I said we all struggle to balance unity and truth, because that's kind of the way we talk. But Paul doesn't see it like that at all. Paul sees it like that. Unity, it sits on top of truth. In other words, true Christian unity has to be founded and built and rooted and grounded in the Word of God. If it's not, it's not Christian unity. If you look at it like that, so it's not a, it's not a balance. It's Christian unity is built on top of truth. And by the way, you can take away truth and you can still have unity. The Church of Scotland has pushed the truth aside, and they're going to unify over a set of beliefs. But folks, that is not Christian unity. It's unity. You can unify over a bunch of stuff. But that's not Christian unity. Christian unity is built and founded and based upon truth. Take away truth, and you don't have Christian unity. Now, what we see in tonight's passage is that isolating false teachers, actually avoiding them is Paul's strategy for preserving unity. Again, he, he sees this group of believers, and we've got this unity. And he says, you watch out for people who will come in, and they'll seek to drive a wedge in. Watch out for those people, because they will destroy your unity by destroying truth. That's how they, that's how they do it. Now, I'm going to give you three reminders here before we move on. Some of, them, some of them are warnings, a couple of them are cautions, but I'm going to give you a reminder. Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Now, let me just warn you, it is absolutely possible to go overboard on that, okay? Some people, some ministries can get so obsessed with spotting error that they lose the ability to rejoice in truth. Go out to YouTube. Go to YouTube and, and start looking. There are ministries on YouTube, and all they do 
is every single one is they're looking for error. They're looking to what that guy said this, and this person said that, and she did this, and they did this, and all they're doing is looking for error. And you watch them week after week after week, and one day you realize, where's the truth? You're not building me up. I've watched you for weeks now, and I don't feel any stronger, more mature. I haven't learned anything. Be very careful of that. There's a place for vigilance. There's a place for watching. But be very careful that you don't get caught up yourself and caught up in ministries that are so obsessed with that that they absolutely lose the ability to rejoice in the truth. By the way, Romans doesn't do this. Book of Romans doesn't do this. Of course, it reminds us to be vigilant. It reminds us that there are going to be false teachers, just like he does here in chapter 16. But the vast majority of the letter is a celebration of truth. Okay? And, I, and, I, and I'll show you a little bit why I think uh, we are to live that way. Vigilance over error is necessary, but joy and truth should be dominant in our lives. Vigilance is necessary, but joy and the truth. I was thinking... Uh, Sunday night, we're going to have a Father's Day thing at my house, and my kids and, are coming over, and their wives, and my grandchildren are all going to be there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if everybody gets in the house, and the kids are running around, and they're saying, hey, Pop, come watch me do this, come watch me do that, and, I, and I, all I can do is stand at the window. I, I'll get there in a minute, kids. I, I'm vigilant. I'm watching. Is anybody coming? How stupid would that be? to spend the whole time looking out the window and just being vigilant. There's a place for that, but I'm going to go in and, 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 and enjoy my grandchildren. I'm going to go in, and everybody with me, be careful. Be careful that you don't stay so vigilant that you miss what's on the inside. You miss the real thing. You miss the joy of the truth. We've used this analogy. I know Pastor Henry has, and I have. You know, when they train bank tellers, to recognize counterfeit money. They don't bring in thousands of counterfeit dollar bills. They just give them the real thing. Study the real thing. You'll recognize the error when it comes. The Word of God is the same way. Just study the Word of God. Study the truth. Know the truth. And trust me, when error comes, you'll be able to uh, spot it immediately. Reminder number two. Don't miss the obvious in this verse. There is... A doctrinal standard. There is such thing as absolute truth. Listen, read it again. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to what? Say it with me. The doctrine. Not a doctrine. Not some doctrine. The doctrine. And back in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said it this way. Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to, say it with me, the standard of teaching to which you weren't committed. The standard. The standard. There is absolute truth. Now, by the way, this absolute truth, you can choose to obey it or not. That's your business. But that does not change the fact that there is absolute truth. People are out there today in this world, and, and they're saying, you believe what you want to believe, and I believe what I want to believe. And uh, you will just live our lives, and, and they can do that. they got every right to do it. But trust me, one day they will be judged by the standard. Not their standard, the standard. Kathy and I 
built a house. Uh, in fact, May 28th, we had been in it a year. It took us about nine months to build it, and I contracted it myself, and so I was always there. And one of the things I noticed that every, every tradesperson that came on the job came with one of these. The guy that laid out my foundation, he, he laid it out with one of these. The framer that came and, and laid out and did my, all the framing and set the windows and doors, he used one of these. The, the siding guy, the, the roofers, even the roofers would measure to figure out the square footage of the area. The painter, even though he's using gallons of paint, he would measure the walls, figure out how much paint he needed to buy, and go and, and do the calculations. Everybody, siding, uh, sheetrock, everybody comes in and they use one of these. You know, it's a weird thing. Somewhere, and I don't know how they do this, but somewhere there is a standard for an inch. And there's a standard for a foot. And everybody that makes one of these builds it according to the standard, right? Doesn't matter if you go to Ace or Lowe's or Home Depot. You buy one of these, it's going to be the same standard. You can buy a, a, a Stanley. You can buy a Craftsman. You can buy a DeWalt. Any brand you want to buy, they're all going to be exactly the same because they're all made to the same standard. Now imagine for a moment if that wasn't true. What if my what if my foundation guy came out and laid out his, laid out my foundation and he used a tape measure with a standard. And the framing guy comes on and he gets ready to frame but he uses a completely different standard. Can you imagine? You know what you'd have? Chaos. Is it any wonder that we have chaos in our world right now? Because everybody is using a different standard. Everybody is using a different standard. We're all, it's just, here's your truth, and here's my truth, and, and their truth, and everybody. Listen, folks, you cannot have a society, you can't have a culture, you cannot have a government for very long when everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. You have to have a standard. You have to. Without that standard, you... You just, it's just chaotic. So I just want to say to you today, there is a standard, and that standard is the Word of God. And we'll come back to this in, in just a moment. Now, one of the greatest challenges in this quest for unity is deciding. Remember what Paul says, hey, you got unity in this body. We, got, we, got, we have been absolutely blessed here at River of Life. Um, as a board member, and, and, and trust me, for all the years I've been here, I've seen it. There is there's incredible unity in this church, and that's a wonderful thing. And what Paul says is, hey, you got this unity. Now watch out for those who come and try to teach or depart from the doctrine that you've been delivered to. So what Paul is telling us is there is a standard set of doctrine, a standard set of teaching that we've been taught. The, the, the challenge is deciding what is it in this standard set of doctrine that if, which Paul says, by the way, if they depart from that standard, avoid them. So what's in that standard? How do we, how do we make that up? Now, obviously, the standard is the Bible, right? The standard is the Word of God. But here's the thing. Some people will come and say, well, yeah, but aren't some doctrines more important than others? Sure they are. <laughs> that's, that's obvious. The doctrine of the resurrection is certainly more important than the doctrine of the rapture. Some people think the rapture is pre-trib. Some people think the rapture is mid-trib. Some think the rapture is post-trib. You can disagree on that, but 
you can't disagree on the resurrection. You've got to believe in the resurrection to be saved, Romans 10, 9. Right? So that's, I mean, obviously that's more important. So there are some doctrines, some teachings that are more essential, more important than others. So here's the question. What are they? Which doctrines are essential and which doctrines are not? Now, I'm going to give you two methods tonight to kind of help figure that out. One of them I don't like, and the other one I do like. Um, neither one of them are perfect, um, but I'm going to give you two methods. Years ago, when I first started studying this, I, I, I did some. Go- I just Googled one day, what are the essential doctrines of the faith? What are, what are the most important ones that we just cannot disagree on? And I, I ran across this statement. It says, essential doctrine is determined by how crucial a teaching is in expressing and preserving the history of redemption, the nature and condition of man, the nature and work of Christ, the nature and work of the Spirit, the nature and work of God the Father. In other words, how important is a doctrine in explaining us who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and what is salvation and, and, and redemption and those kind of things. Now, that's an okay definition, but when I saw it, I immediately had a problem with it. And the problem I had was that word, word crucial. Because I thought, okay, well, who decides how crucial it is? Me? You want me to make that decision, how crucial something is? And in fact, you can actually do this exercise. I had a guy one time I was studying with, and he had this exercise. He said, draw two circles. On the inside circle, make that the important stuff. In the outside circle, this will be all the opinions. And then make you a list of all the doctrines. So you can have doctrines like there's one God, the resurrection, the Trinity, homosexuality, baptism, rapture, gifts of the Spirit, smoking, suicide. I mean, just list whatever you want to list over there. And then start dragging them over. And figure out which ones are important and which ones are just opinion. Now, it doesn't take you long going through that exercise to figure out the problem, right? Because two people are going to come up with two different things. Right? Because what you think is really, really important, I may think, well, you know. By the way, this is exactly what the Church of Scotland has done. They've decided that, oh, the teachings on homosexuality, that's just an opinion. That's not really essential. And they've decided we'll just move on. Everybody with me? That's the problem with that is because you leave it up to men to decide what's really important and what's not. And, and we're going to disagree. And, and honestly, I don't want that responsibility anyway. So I think that method is flawed because it relies on my judgment and my own value system to make decisions. So here's method number two. How do I decide what's really important in the Bible? I take this method from Romans 14 and Romans 16. Remember back in Romans 14 where Paul said, why don't y'all just get along? What, what, those were things, whether you should eat meat or not eat meat, that had been uh, offered to idols, and whether you should worship on certain holidays, those were things the Bible did not speak to. Are you with me? So Paul says, it's just an opinion. Do the best you can. Follow your conscience. Be fully convinced. Welcome one another and maintain unity. But in Romans 16, notice the difference. The doctrine you have been taught. You see, in Romans 14, they were dealing with things that hadn't been passed along, that hadn't come through the Word of God, that hadn't come from the apostles. 
In Romans 16, though, he's saying these are things that you have been taught, that have been passed from the, from the apostles that have come through the Word of God. Those are two totally different things. So here's the method. If Scripture speaks to it, then in my mind, it's essential. It's just that simple. If Scripture speaks to something, if the Holy Spirit took the time to inspire the apostle to tell me something in that book, then, folks, I'm going to perk up and pay attention. That's important. Now, if the, if the, if the Bible doesn't speak to it, then it's a matter of opinion. We can agree to disagree. I'm, we shouldn't divide over it. But if the Bible speaks to it, I'm going to give it the weight I think that it deserves, and I'm going to call it essential. Reminder number three. Do you remember uh, Paul says to them, when we find somebody that comes in and they're teaching a doctrine that is not part of the doctrine that was delivered to us, it won't, they want to divide us, what does Paul say? Avoid them. Okay. Now I want to point out a couple of things. Do you remember in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Peter is eating with the Gentiles, which he, as a Jew he was not supposed to do. And some Jews came down from Jerusalem, and, and Peter got scared. He, he gave in to the peer pressure. He, didn't, he was afraid what they might say or how they might think about him. So he withdrew from the Gentiles, and he pretended he didn't know them. And Paul did not like that at all because he said, man, you are, you are distorting the gospel when you do that. But notice what Paul didn't do. Paul didn't say, well, I'm not having anything to do with him anymore. In fact, go read it. It says Paul went and got in his face, and he said, what you're doing is wrong. He, 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 he confronted him in order to set him straight. In Acts chapter 18, we see this. Now a Jew named Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's this man preaching, and he's saying some things that are not right. He was ignorant. He just didn't know. Notice Priscilla and Aquila didn't say, dude, you're done. We're cutting you off. They took him aside and they set him straight. Listen, that is not the situation in Romans 16. This isn't somebody like Peter making a mistake because of peer pressure. This isn't somebody like uh, Apollos making a mistake because he was ignorant. The people that Paul refers to that are doing this, dividing... They're not making a mistake. They're doing it on purpose. Look at verse 18. He says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, their own desires, their own belly. That, that's, that's literally what that word means. They serve their own belly. That's their idol. That's what they, they worship. See, they come in and they want to draw a group away, right? Right? If somebody comes into this church and they're teaching good doctrine, what do we do? We welcome them in and, and, and man, we're all unified. But when people want to draw away their own audience, they always have to come in with something different. To draw you away, they have to come in with a doctrine that's different than the, than the church is already teaching. It's a doctrine that divides. Why do they do it? Some of them do it for money. Some of them do it for sex. Some of them do it for fame. Some of them just do it for human approval. They just want a group of people around them that just tells them how great they are and just looks up to them. But they're not doing it on accident. They're looking for a following. They're looking to draw people away from the body. Now, notice how they do it. 
Let's read the verse again. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. By the way, that word flattery is the Greek word for eulogy. You know what a eulogy is, right? You go to a funeral, and they stand up, and do they ever say anything bad? Never say anything bad, do they? They're, they're dead. So they say all good things. That's a, they eulogize. They flatter. So the idea here is these men say things that make you feel good about yourself. They don't, they're, not, they're not harsh. They're not rough. They're not condemning. They say, they flatter you. Man, you're such a good person. God loves you. God lo don't, don't listen to all that wrath of God stuff. Don't, don't listen to all that sin stuff. God loves you. God made you exactly the way you are. I mean, that's, they, they build you up. And you think, wow, that, he's right. God loves me. Well, it's just the way I am. They flatter you. They make you feel good. By the way, smooth talk just means that even though the lies are pouring out of their mouth, it sounds plausible. It sounds pleasant. They, they, they twist things, right? Man, God loves you. Well, that's true. God made you. He created you just like you are. He formed you in the womb. Well, that's true. You don't have to, you know, I mean, they, they take those things and they forget about all the other things. They flatter you. It's smooth talk. It's plausible. By the way, false teachers never get you, as I said, by being rough, by being mean, by being harsh. They are nice and personable people. They are very nice and personable people. There was a guy that lived in the 16th century at the same time as uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin. His name was Faustus Socinus, and he was an intellectual, but he was a heathen. He was a... Uh, uh, a heretic. He didn't believe in the deity of Christ. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He just taught that he was a man. But he was a nice guy. In fact, one of his contemporaries said this, he was a gentleman. His morals were above reproach, and he distinguished himself by his unfailing courtesy, which was remarkable in an age when even the great Protestant leaders such as Luther and Calvin would use coarse street language when arguing with their opponents. It's a funny thing, if you ever read a biography of, of Martin Luther, he, was, he wasn't a nice guy. I mean, if he thought you was a fool, he would just call you a fool right in front of him. I mean, he, he, didn't have, he had no tact whatsoever, but, he was, but what he did have was the truth. On the other hand was this guy, nice guy with just the nicest personable guy you ever thought, and he was lying through his teeth. By the way, this is also why it is seldom going to be popular to resist a false teacher. It's seldom going to be popular. If you come out against a false teacher, people say, what's wrong with you? He's, look at him. He's a nice guy. Think everybody loves him. He's great. While the lies spew out of his mouth. Now, I want you to notice, they flatter, they use smooth talk, they're doing it on purpose, and I want you to notice who they carry away and deceive. The hearts of the naive. The hearts of the naive. In verse 18 there, the, the Greek word is a kakos. And it literally means fearing no evil from others or distrusting no one. They're, they're naive. They can't tell the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher. They, they cannot tell the difference. They, they are, we, we would call these people today gullible. 
right? Like Charlie Brown, right? He, he was gullible. They, they lack discernment between good and evil. They, they can't tell the difference. Now, here's something else. One of the other reasons that I brought this tape measure tonight. How do you get somebody who's gullible, how do you get them away from that? How, how do you take somebody that can't tell the difference between good and evil, and how do you get them to a point where you can't? Well, the Bible tells us, Psalms 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, when you know the standard, and people begin to teach you the standard, and you begin to study the standard, and you let that standard get in your heart, one day that false teacher walks in and says something, and immediately you just break out the Word of God. Nope, that ain't right. Are you with me? See, when you know the standard, you're not gullible anymore. You know you have discernment because now you know the standard. You've got the measuring stick. You know the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the Word of God. Do exactly what you're doing here tonight. Sit under teaching of the Word of God. Learn the standard. And you can move from being a gullible person who lacks discernment to being wise. Because you know the truth. We saw this in Acts 17, 11 with the Bereans, this, this famous group of people from this city called Berea, said this, now these Jews were more noble. That means they had more integrity than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if the things Paul said were so. So they would go to the synagogue and Paul would preach and they'd go back home and they'd get in the word of God and they'd start testing. Is that what the word of God says? That's, that's, listen, that's, that's, what, that's what we are supposed to be doing. I don't have to know every heresy and every false teaching that's out there. What I need to know is the Word of God. I need to know the standard. That's all I need. That's a, that's a tape measure on my side. And if anybody comes in and says something that doesn't line up with that standard, I can know uh, immediately. I'll close with this. Verse 19 is a wonderful key for living the Christian life. But very few people use it. <laughs> very few people use it. The reason is because we live in a culture, in a society, and we were raised to believe that all knowledge is good. The more you can learn, the better you are. We've been told that probably from day one. Learn, learn, gain wisdom, gain knowledge, gain knowledge. But there's certain knowledge, Paul says, you do not need to know. Look at verse 19. He says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. Now here, this is not the word naive. He doesn't want you to be naive, but he does want you to be innocent. That word, by the way, means unmixed or pure. It's like uh, talking about wine or certain metals that are unmixed, that they're pure. And Paul says this is a good thing. This is a good thing. You think back to the Garden of Eden. There was a time that all Eve knew was good. That's all she knew. And the serpent comes along and convinces her that if you could just learn about this evil, you'll be like God. You'll be like God. How'd that turn out? Giving undue attention to what is evil will not make us wiser in what is good. 
It's like I was talking about. You can watch those YouTube videos that, where they're picking apart heretic. You can watch those for weeks on end, and one day you'll wake up and think, "Why well, I'm not any wiser to the truth. I know what all those people are doing, but I don't know the truth any better than the day that I started. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Set your mind on those things. Think about those things. I mentioned it a while ago about the bank tellers, right? They don't focus on the bad. They focus on the good. They don't focus on the false. They focus on the true. So I leave you with this tonight. Focus on the standard. Focus on the standard of the Word of God. Learn the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. We don't have to know everything there is to know about evil. Focus on God. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on His Word. Trust me, you will recognize the faults when it comes. You will absolutely recognize. You won't have to worry about it. I, I see this every day in my life. The more you know the Word, you can immediately spot when somebody's not using the Word correctly or when somebody's going around the Word. Um, I was watching something the other day. It was actually at the Southern... It was a debate at the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, they were debating over a certain thing. And one guy made an argument. And at the end of the argument, my radar went up and said he never quoted Scripture. He made his whole argument and he never quoted a single verse from the Bible to back it up. It all came about from how he felt or how people feel or what. Everybody with me? You'll start to notice that. People aren't using, they'll make their argument and they never break out the standard. Folks, listen, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life according to the standard. I'm going to be judged according to that standard. Therefore, I want to live it according to the standard as close as I possibly can. I'm not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But I want to do my best to, to do that. But in order to, know, to live according to the standard and walk according to the standard and talk according to the standard, you got to know the standard, right? So keep doing what you're doing. Keep studying. Keep meditating. Keep staying in, in the Word of God. Let's pray. Father... We love you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the word as we always do. Uh, what an incredible word it is. And I, I'm, I'm always astounded how something written 2,000 years ago is just as relevant today as it was then. And, and as I always say, it's because human nature doesn't change. Human nature, we are your creations and we, are, we have fallen from where we should be. And we, that we, there's a certain process and workflow that we follow and it just doesn't change. Satan is still doing the same things he did that back then. He's still telling the same lies. People are still using the same tricks. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that lays it all out there for us. If we'll only listen, if we'll only understand, and if we'll only believe. God, we thank you. We pray for this week as we move ahead. We pray that each and every one of us, uh, that there will be no compromise in our life. That in a time when the whole world, it seems to be just falling away, that God, we will stand strong and courageous on the standard of doctrine that's been delivered to us. We will not turn no matter what. God, give us courage. Give us boldness in the days ahead. Father, we pray for this Sunday service, Lord. We pray, God, that you would just use your word 
mightily in that service, God, that, that even in these last days that someone, someone would hear your word and be saved. We ask that tonight, and we'll give you the glory when it happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at ROL Crawfordville for more information and directions.